Hi, everyone. I'm Claudia Sarek. And I'm Zach Mack. And this is So You Want to Run a Restaurant, powered by Back of House, where we let you have a seat at the table and talk about trending topics in the restaurant industry. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of your favorite podcast, So You Want to Run a Restaurant. So, Zach, are you excited for our guest today? Oh, I'm really excited to talk to Carlos, actually. I think this is going to be a really interesting conversation. He's done some truly groundbreaking stuff, and uh, he yeah. seems like he's like he, the technology side, especially, obviously, seems like a bit of his forte. Oh my gosh, I know. He's third generation owner of his family's restaurant business, which again, another family, another family business that we have this season. I feel like this is now our fifth, fourth or fifth guest of the season that's that's come wow. grown up in a family restaurant, which is really cool. It's good to see the strong lineages like that. Um, have you yeah. so he's gonna talk a lot about I mean, we're gonna bring up his use of robots in the restaurant mm-hmm. space. Have you, I mean, this isn't exactly everywhere yet, but what's the closest you've come to interacting with a robot? Even if it's not a restaurant, I guess. Yeah, I I, I have not yet. I know that we put... Um, I've seen I've seen the Duxi robotics in action before, but and I went yeah. to um, one of the conferences that I went to on restaurant technology. They had a ton of really the pizza making robots. They had the the smoothie yeah. making robots, all of that. But I haven't actually been to a restaurant yet in Chicago where they've had like a server coming out and delivering my food to me at my table. I um so I mean, remember the first time this doesn't count as robotics, I suppose. But like automats and things like that that move around. Like I had a, an experience in London back when back in the day with the conveyor belt sushi, which apparently is coming back. Oh, true. Um, but true. I the did one thing I will I will never ever forget uh, an event I w- attended. It was like a kind of low key secret party, and they had rented out a bartending robot named Bar Two D Two. And oh, okay. this thing was amazing. You'd literally like press be like, I want a gin and tonic. It'd be like, Boop, and then it would drop a little cup into its belly and then fill it up. And then it would like spin its head around and had a little blowtorch and it would make fire come out of its mouth. It was one of the coolest things. And then they got a cease and desist from the Star Wars franchise. I know how this story ends. No, I'm oh, just absolutely. You know, they're, they're, they're Ted on their IP. Oh, rightfully yeah. so. It's a, rightfully so. <laughs> Amazing. Well, in addition to robots, Carlos also has a movie coming out. Can you believe it? A, a, no, an he's actual... really doing it all. He is. It's an actual documentary on creating the world's largest croquetta called Croquetta Nation. So I am very excited to talk to him about his uh, dipping his toe into the wonderful world of Hollywood. I know. It's going to be very interesting to see because that's like, from what I understand, movie the movie business is a full-time job in itself. So interested to see how he's doing this. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know how you manage restaurants and a movie business and robot and a whole robot staff in addition to your normal staff, but we'll find out. All right, so we are so excited for our guest today, Carlos Gazatua of Sergio's Restaurants in Florida, um, to talk to him about robotics, croquetas, and keeping a beloved family business afloat through the challenges of the last two years. Carlos, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. And from sunny Miami, nonetheless. Absolutely. Beautiful weather. (laughs) Speaking on behalf of all New Yorkers, I'm going to tell you right now, we're very jealous. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So, Carlos, we're really happy to have you on today. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Um, so I just wanted to start things off where we usually do and ask, you know, you've been working with your family restaurants since you were very young. Um, I just was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what it was like growing up and how you connected to the family business at a young age. Yeah, I think um, I had the advantage of working in a family business at a young age, uh, seeing my mom, my grandmother work, that kind of blue collar hospitality background. I think really provided me with the advantage of 
just understanding what it takes to survive in a, such a volatile industry. Uh, it's a great industry, but it's also one that has a high percentage of, of, of failure. So I think um, just kind of working and seeing what it takes to work in uh, as a dishwasher or in the kitchen line or on the windows, which for us is very famous for Cuban restaurants. Um, and that interaction really created me a sense of grounding, a grounding of, of hospitality and service. And I think, uh, I think everyone should kind of have that opportunity to work with people because no matter what it is that we, when you work with people, you kind of um, grow up a little bit with empathy. Um, you're, you're able to tie in with their emotional intelligence and you're able to work on your emotional intelligence on how you can adapt and, and create conversations, which is really needed um, in the new generation because as, as we go more tech focused, um, we lose those opportunities for conversations and be able to have that dialogue with with anyone, doesn't matter if you're white collar, blue collar, what kind of job you are, the goal is, is restaurants and hotels, I think, provide an opportunity of, 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 of the community. Um, not a lot mm-hmm. of people are going home and inviting everyone into their house. In fact, a lot of people are going to cafes and coffee shops and restaurants. And, and now with the new virtual world, it's kind of like, hey, let's go meet up for, for coffee or for drinks. I think it's, it's that, um, that experience that um, I think is an advantage uh, for me. Um, and I think it's something that um, I encourage all the young people in America to kind of jump in and work at least a few years or a few summers, let's just say, in the restaurant industry, even at a young age. No, it's important. I, was, for me, it was foundational. I didn't expect to end up in the industry that I'm, that I'm in, but those first few years, it just kind of, even just outside of like knowing how a restaurant runs, I think it's just like a lot of education that can be applied to different areas of life because it is such a, a different, special kind of environment, as we are all very well aware. Um, so I also was wondering, you're a JD MBA. Am I wrong? That's correct. So that's, that's, that's very impressive. And that's not usually something people go into or something that they, they pursue if they have designs to go into the restaurant industry, unless you have a idea to be like a, a lawyer, a lawyer burger shop. I don't know. Um, but if you, if, was there any idea when you were going for that, when you were pursuing those, uh, those degrees that you, you were going to end up back in the hospitality world, or is it just kind of where life took you. Well, such a, thank you for the question. For a lot of restaurateurs out there, they're mostly in the fire, you know, living day by day, mm-hmm. trying to get by. Um, but if they really step back, they are dealing with suppliers. Those are agreements. They're maybe dealing with royalty or, or licensing issues. They're dealing with workers' compensation. Um, when I saw the restaurant industry, you kind of step back and you look at it and you say, wow, there's so many moving parts. Um, and a lot of it, there are legal issues, right? On what, um, if it's FSLA violations, how to prevent those things. So really those who kind of, I think industries or restaurants or hotels that look at JD MBAs or really have opportunities to not only on the business side, but the legal side to avoid issues. Um, and I think um, coming, you know, what I wanted to do in the future was when I was young was, hey, I, I might go back into the business, I might not, but I wanted to give myself enough skill sets that I don't have to be tied to the kitchen. How can I bring my value better than being third generation than the first or second generation? So the first generation in every restaurant or any type of business, doesn't matter, are really the grinders, the ones that are just in there, they know the business, um, every piece of the business really to operate, but they can never really 
focus too much on cost or how to make it more profitable because they're just not in the business world to understand that the second generation gets better. And I like to say the third generation, obviously the percentages go down every generation to, to ruin the business as well because they don't know the operational side. You gotta know the office mm -hmm. first, um, which is why like Chick-fil-A and everyone else requires them to work in the business first, then get your degrees so that you can really understand the ops. If you don't understand ops, then you're yeah. pretty much done. But yeah. if you can understand the high level part of running the business and understanding how to do agreements and, and really negotiate the best opportunities, the better you are to stay afloat. And in our industry, it really comes down to economies of scales determines a lot of times your success. So um, not a lot of people know, but mostly the suppliers will make actually more money on profits than the actual restaurant on the bottom line. Mm -hmm. so yeah, that, that's an interesting dichotomy. Like, oh, it's my business, yet you're making more margins because they don't have the economy of scales. They don't have this. They don't buy as much, right? When you buy more, um, you don't need to have a, someone to service your account because what you do is you work on like contract pricing and things like that. That you know the back end people just don't have that advantage unless you have the volume. So those who understand how to grow the volume, how to negotiate, how to make it better, now your supplier is like your number one asset. Right? And it's turning that around and saying, how do I get my supplier to be my number one asset is how I can grow and scale and create that volume play and really help and be that side-by-side -side partner, um, which a lot of suppliers are. You just got to be able to get there. That truly helps um, restaurants survive, particularly independent restaurants um, that don't have that, that scale. And I think uh, the JDMBA side helped me Kind of see the landscape and then it helps you create those relationships long term with all your suppliers because they understand mm -hmm. how you're thinking they understand how you're working they understand it's a true partnership on how to do it and i think um those are the conversations that you you can have once you really understand not only the operation side the business side but also the legal side i was I've, I've always said if i could have a dime for every time i wish i had the legal background to be able to kind of kind of tackle some of the stuff you just talked about, I would have probably been able to pay my way through law school. So I definitely see the use case for it. I was just really, it is, you're right. It does put, suit you, put you in a very good position to, to be much more suited to, to tackle your own problems and to think about the bigger picture. So it is, if we could only all be lawyers, you know, we could have it all figured out. <laughs> yeah. Right. So what was, but what was the moment that made you realize, okay, so I want, I I've done this, I've gone to school and now I want to get back into the family business. I want to hear about the transition that, that moved you there. So after law school and MBA school, I was pretty much burnt out. Like, you know, you already have your undergrad, you have your JBA, yeah. It's like, Hey, <laughs> I can this, imagine. Is, this is, this is too much already. I, I, I'm, and I burnt it all out like in two and a half years. So I was doing summers. It was exhausting. So here I am ready to go back into um, the world of, I also have my broker's license. So I, I loved real estate. So I wanted to do, um, you know, purchasing of buildings or real estate, like big, big um, buildings and industrial properties as well. But when I saw my family business, my mom was second generation. She was already getting burnt out. You could tell. And so then yeah. I think for a lot of third generation businesses or, or second generation, you have to decide who's going to take the mantle. And, and unfortunately, a lot of them won't take the mantle because they, they studied something else and they put their heart and passion into something else. And I think that if you have a passion for something, you should do it. If you don't, 
and you try to do it, it's not going to end up working very well to what your capacity is. I always totally. Had, I always had a passion for restaurants. It's not like you know. I always think that there's a lot of people that work in rest in, in businesses from nine to five, and then like they're waiting till lunchtime to actually enjoy their day. So, right. Zach. so, so if I could be in that place 24-7 or whatever I'm working on, that's a pretty cool thing. You know, if I could be in the restaurant business and it's your best part of your day and, and it's my average day, um, if you think of that from that philosophy, I think um, the restaurant business is a really cool space uh, because it, it's really about interacting with people and I'm, I'm very much a, a people person. So I thought that if I'm almost burning out, we had a choice to make in our family. We said... Do I carry the mantle for my next generation and figure out how to grow it and, and how do I really use my passion and my skill sets to do it or do we sell it and move on? And, um, you know, there's, I've seen businesses sell. That's the best thing they could do. And for me, you know, I had the passion to do it and, and, and that's why I've spent over 10 years already running the business. Um, yeah. That's I get it. I totally understand that. But so, okay, so I want to transition now to once you actually took over the operation. So you've gone through all of this and you've talked a lot about the, um, and how you run the business especially, because I know that you've been in the news quite a bit as one of the early adopters of robot waiters um, in light of all the staffing challenges. And I know you talked a lot about community and that folks go to restaurants for that sense of community, the inner, you know, the interpersonal interaction, all of that. So I want to, I want to hear about how you arrived at the decision and what it, what it's been like implementing that in, as far as um, the way you operate your business. Sure. I know that when I came on board our business, I wanted to, um, anything I did, I wanted to have one philosophy. And, and, mm -hmm. and the philosophy was, I just want to build a great fan base. Um, I, li I played sports. Um, the Dolphins, I'm a fan, even though they're horrible, right? They lose every year. Um, you know, what can we do? But, um, Beautiful. I'm living, I'm living in Chicago with the Chicago Bears. I get it. You get it, right? <laughs> but when we like think of it like I'm a Patriots fan, so I can't really oh, say much. Yeah, 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 get out of here, Zach. You've been winning. You've been winning. I'm, so our listeners don't know, but I'm muting Zach right now. <laughs> <laughs> but if you think about like from a big picture, like being a fan of something, if you're being a fan of a sports team. Even though they lose, you still are a fan. And think about right. like that power is that no matter what, like bad times or good times, I still stay a fan of of my favorite sports team. My philosophy when I was coming into circles was like, how do I build and I had already a pretty good fan base, I thought. Um, and the question was, is how do I develop that kind of fan base for the new generation? And what and, and how they were coming up. And I think that kind of connection with community purpose, yet figuring out ways to market to them and communicate to them our vision, I think is what the secret sauce is when I put together a marketing campaign or when I think of what we're gonna do, I think about it as, will this will our fans appreciate this? Will this create more fans or this will create less fans? Um, and it's a, it's a pretty uh -huh. simple thing to say, that's so hard. It's harder to execute when you come up with ideas, but that's kind of what um, the overlying philosophy was. Um, regarding the robots, um, we, during the pandemic, I mean, pretty much, I said yes to everything because 
at the end of the day, we're, we have to be flexible and adaptable during a, during a time. Those who are adaptable during chaos are the ones who actually survive. Um, those who kind of just mm. stay still and say, this is the way I've always done it, um, have less percentage chances of survival. Um, mm-hmm. So we adapted every way possible. We sold meals to senior meals. I think we sold over 150,000 senior meals. Um, for those seniors that couldn't get out of the community, uh, we went to a program and did that, something we have never done. And something that we think in the future we will continue to do. But it was a very great success because it kept moving the cash flow. Didn't matter if we were making barely any money as a, as a profit, it was about keeping our staff employed and continue to develop. And as we developed and we saw some people coming in and, and the state of Florida uh, kept stayed open, even though some places were still staying closed or being more conservative in, um, in schools and things like that, we saw more people willing to go out to eat, but yet we didn't have staff. We had no wait staff. They just right. wouldn't come in. I mean, if we did, we saw that my waiter cannot attend the entire restaurant. It's impossible. And they were creating, it was creating burnout. So we closed about 40% of the dining room, even though we were 100% open, but we had no choice. Mm-hmm. I thought about, could it be better? I saw these waiters running around. I go, what, what if the waiters could just stay on the dining room floor and we could bring food to them? And that's where the technology and robotics came in. I, I reached out with a couple CEOs and I said, I had this idea. Can we have a robot take the food to the server and the server doesn't leave the dining room and stays with the guests? They can make more tables. Is that even possible? And then they reached, I was able to connect with a CEO in, in, in actually in Silicon Valley that was already been working on this idea for Korea. And it just, we talked for 20, 30 minutes. He said, you want to see the product? I said, no, I just want you to see how fast you can get here. And we were able to turn around everything within two weeks without even seeing anything on testing uh, this pilot. Two weeks? Two weeks without seeing anything, without doing anything. I just said, I'm ready to go. I'll test it. Give me an opportunity. And, uh, and that was history, right? We, we implemented it. We got a lot of news coverage. Everyone thought, hey, is this taking away jobs? I think little by little, they realized what was really going on, which was um, we don't really go to Home Depot and yell at the forklift for taking away someone's job. In fact, we celebrate the forklift because it takes the product down and is able to help you take out a product. And the same thing is mm-hmm. what the robots was, was in essence was going to do for us was create some entertainment value, but also be able to really make the server life better by them taking more tables. We were able to increase about 30% increase in, in, in sales for them because if they were only going to take three tables, but now they can take four to five tables. Now they've gotten more money. And if the tip went up, that can help. So for the sake, I'm, I've been watching some of these videos and it's actually really fun. It's, you're right, it is entertainment value. Yeah. First and foremost, you see that it looks like a little R2-D2, for, I mean, because we're in an audio <laughs> medium now, a little R2-D2 style thing bringing you your food. And, and you know, the, the space age is here. You know, we're finally, we're seeing this. Um, but for the people who haven't seen these videos yet, can you explain how this process kind of works? Like just a quick rundown on, on like what these robots are actually capable of doing? Yeah, so the, the robot is, they 3D map the entire space. They basically works off the walls of your restaurant or your hotel or, 
or your venue. And it has three layers. Um, and you put the food on the layers as the food comes out of the kitchen. And then you just touch the table because as it gets 3D mapped, you can actually pinpoint where the robot goes based on the traffic patterns of the restaurant um, mm -hmm. and where huh. they should position on each table because we know each table has a better position where the robot should go. But also the robot has lasers. And as it, walk, as it walks around, it lasers in front of itself. So that way if someone jumps in front or a kid gets in front of it, it'll stop and it'll wait till that obstruction goes away and it'll continue to its space. Oh. Well, what we tried to do, Zach, was I didn't want to take away the hospitality experience. I didn't want anyone to think that this was a, a, a replacement or a substitute for the server, but I wanted to be an assistant for the server. If you ever watch Star Wars, no one's ever complaining with the little robot maybe doing a drink and the bartender giving uh, that person an ex, uh, you know, a drink at, in Star Wars during the bar, during the movies. Why? Because it, the R2-D2 is an assistant. And so, in essence, for us, what we wanted to do was create an assistant for our wait staff and create a competitive advantage uh, that in our restaurants you work less and make more money. Um, and that's a pretty good tagline to have for any uh, wait staff. And that was kind of like the, the essence of, the, of, of what we're doing. Um, but that's only the first stage, right? Robotics as an assistant is only the first stage. The second stage that we just implemented and we're, we're still working through will be the integration of robotics with your POS system. So imagine a world where you're eating at a table at a restaurant and then you charge and you, you pay your bill and then you get up to leave. What if when you paid your bill, the one of the other robots would come to the table, a little bigger area for the to put the dishes, and it would be easier for the server and the busser to put the dirty dishes on that particular robot, we call it the busser system robot, and then that will take it to the dishwasher or the, or the pit area. You know, wouldn't that help turn the table faster? Would that help make the wait time less for the customer so they can focus on sanitizing the table, manicuring the table, and getting ready for the next uh, customer that comes in? So those, you know, five minutes here, two minutes here, one minute here, all make a huge difference during peak times of an operation. That's really and funny. it sounds like the staff and your customers really like it too. We did a survey recently. We decided a marketing agency. We we're doing like a, some rebranding, and they spent interviewing people twenty years old, thirty years old, forty years old, fifty years old, all the way to sixty year olds. And because that's our that's pretty much our demographic. We have a huge, huge base. Um, and the top two to three items that they identified as what represents our brand is the robot. Just crazy. Because business for 45 years, we've only had the robot for, let's say, since May of last year. And yet now everyone's associating our brand as the robot restaurant. Uh, that's powerful branding. That's powerful fan creating fans uh, because yeah. it, it applied not only to a, to the convenience of a 20-year-old, it complied to the convenience of a 60-year-old. And the, and the older generation actually have now taken this as a safety issue. So the older generation doesn't generally move unless it's a safety issue or, or maybe there's better value to it. Um, but I think they, they took it in during the pandemic. It's more contactless or maybe there's less people touching it and they think of it as a, as a more, uh, maybe a faster way of getting the food. So it was interesting to see that it didn't matter what demographic they all thought of it. It was great. Um, and we doubled down on the robots 
for the second robot to be a busser. Um, and some people on our staff said, you know, do we really need a busser robot? Like if we had the server robot. And I said to them, well, it's very simple. You know, every minute costs us money, right? Or every minute's an opportunity to make money as a server. So let's be efficient. Let's figure out how we can make those peak times work for our staff because that's more take home for them. But two, there's a lot more opportunities that we can use technology for. And we invested, because it's still a cost, right? We invested in this because it's amazing to me when I see people have different price elasticity complaints, or maybe this is too expensive, or this is too cheap for 20 cents, or, or maybe this is a dollar, or this is place is too expensive. But when I see that everyone has an iPhone, and when I see that everyone has an Android, I mean, these are expensive technology that we have in our pockets, right? It's a thousand bucks for an iPhone. What that teaches any business person, right, that's running a business is that there is less price elasticity issues for those who embrace technology because the consumer enjoys technology. They want to see some form of technology in your business model. It makes them feel part of the trend, part of what's going on. But I think it's that convenience that you want. And so if you can figure out that model that works for your brand, um, don't shy away from it. Kind of embrace it. Um, just because all you got to do is look at your customers. And I guarantee everyone has, a, has, has some type of technology on them. Um, and, it's, and it works for all demographics. It just has to, you just have to figure out what works for your model. Trust20 is a proud sponsor of the So You Want to Run a Restaurant podcast. Trust20's ANSI accredited food handler certificate training is the freshest course on the market and made with the worker in mind. It's interactive, entertaining, and the test at the end is even gamified. Yes, you heard that right. Get your new team members up to speed on food safety in no time. Today, right now, this second, you got to do it. Trust 20 Food Handler Certificate Training is available for individual and group purchases. Head to their site, trust20.co, again, that's trust20.co, and sign up for the newsletter to stay up to date because Trust 20 will also be launching a food allergy certificate training this spring. Get your team a certificate today. Um, all right. So I, I'm not sure how many people listening to this know this, but there's a movie coming out, um, about you guys, Croqueta Nation, um, which is actually premiering as we speak, I believe, uh, but it will definitely be out by the time this airs. And, uh, I just was hoping that we could get a little bit more from the man himself here. Like what, what's going on with this film? Because it seems like a pretty cool project. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was really fun to make. Um, I don't know many restaurants making movies. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask. I was like, I don't think that's typical. Again, like the no. robots is a, is one avenue. The film is another. That is a, it's a unique branding perspective to take. So. Yeah, you know, I think that having fun is, is important. Again, building fans is important. Um, and I think this kind of falls in line with that thought process. Um, but we have a holiday in Day County, um, now in Broward as well, which is Croqueta Day. Croqueta Day is October 1st. And it was our celebration of, of celebrating um, over making over 20 million croquetas sold during the lifespan of Surajos. And that happened about uh, four years ago. So we've been celebrating every year. So every year, October 1st, 
Dade County celebrates Croqueta Day. Um, it's, a, it's a unique snack. And so what we did in the film was we thought, let's go ahead and, uh, and really see when we were thinking about what to do. We did a uh, Croqueta for, for Mars. So I surprised the mayor at that time, and I said, um, Elon Musk was doing um, the, basically his mission to Mars. And I said, well, if he's doing the mission to Mars, what we're gonna do is we're gonna create Cuban space food and show him and then how to make Cuban space food. Because at the end of the day, you can't transport food. I mean, you could for the first couple of missions, but the goal is you gotta make it over there for it to work. So we did that and, and Bacardi laughed about it, the, the brand. And they send us a, a, a letter saying, this was really funny. I did it, by the way, on April Fool's Day, just to kind of have fun with it. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. We, so we actually had the recipes and we actually did it. But I also didn't want everyone to start ordering it right away without you know, having a federal contract or something. So, um, so we, we said it, it was really funny. And Bacardi laughed and sent us a letter saying, what's next? The world's longest croquetta. And when we were thinking about what to do for Croqueta Day, we had two weeks when we got that letter. And I grabbed our team and said, let's just do this. Everyone thought it was crazy. Um, and, I said, wow. and I said, well, don't worry. If we fail, let's just document it. And it'll be a total disaster. Um, but it will be entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> also, yes. Car Carlos, I have to say, you really love two-week deadlines. I feel like you did the robots in two weeks. You're doing the record-length croquetta in two weeks. I mean, I'm wondering what's going to be next here. <laughs> the mother of all inspiration is a short deadline, you know? Yeah, well, during the pandemic, two weeks is like, you know, two months. So we, we hope that, uh, that that we'll have more time frames in the future. Obviously, my team hopes, hopes so because... Um, that just shows you how quick we were, we were acting to do something. Yeah. Yeah. And so... Well, I want to... Go, well, go ahead. Finish it. So, I was going to ask you that you also had a two-week deadline to create a, a custom deep fryer that you apparently needed, that I, or I heard that you needed in order to get, in order to uh, pull this off. Absolutely. It was um, part of the two weeks was to create a custom, I guess, world's longest fryer um, that actually would work. We had no clue how to do this. This was something that um, we had to figure out logistics. We had to figure out how do we make it? How does it not break? How do we do a custom fryer? Who do we go to for this during the pandemic? Um, and it was all this drama that we recorded that we created into a film. Um, and then also then we said, can we present it to the community? Yeah. I mean, at one point, the community heard we were doing this and I got a call from a radio station, I didn't know at the time, um, that, and it was, they were pretending to be from France and be part of the, the French embassy in DC, saying that, how dare I try to make the world's longest croquetta, because croquettas came from France. Um, and they were yelling to me in, in French and saying that, you know, how dare you Cubans take up all this credit for oh making this food. And it was really funny down here because they really pranked us really well on, they said they were gonna do a, a, a protest as well in front of our, our restaurants. <laughs> but at, that all ended up being great branding, right? Because everyone's like, what's going on that these people are getting protested for making a croquetta? <laughs> um, so it was really, really fun stuff. The, the, the most 
probably craziest part was we also were doing construction in our restaurant. Um, we were expanding our outdoor area and we literally had no roof in one part of our restaurant. So the event was occurring in less than two weeks and we had no roof. Well, actually, that might work, though, if you needed to turn the croquetta in a certain direction. You don't have to worry about hitting the ceiling. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm thinking of the logistics of all of this. <laughs> also, that's not a typical. There's a lot of problems in restaurants that come up like that, but not having a roof is certainly not a common one. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's true. A, that is a unique problem uh, on a tight time, time frame. <laughs> when it rains, they don't show up. So that's all part of the movie, right? Like the whole drama, what happened, and then those who watch the movie will get to see really the the results. And I think it's uh, it, it's something that um, the Miami Film Festival saw. They loved it. Um, we're premiering um, March thirteenth. Is will be the premiere. Um, Emilio Estefan, who's a famous producer, um, and Gloria Estefan, but Emilio is an executive producer to the film. Um, so we got Hollywood, a little bit of Hollywood in with this because they like they love what we did. Um, and yeah, it's just, uh, a really cool thing for Miami, for the community. And the, it just shows, um, at the same time, like you can make culinary fun ideas, fun marketing ideas, but at the end of the day, it's also like, we can all choose. I think it, when you unwrap everything, it's community, it's adversity, it's teamwork, it's culinary fun, but it's also, I think, um, a decision we all can make in real life, which is making Make a decision that you can be a hero to your own movie. You know, in life, we are going to get all forms of entertainment, adversity, uh, drama, comedy. Um, but when you choose to be a hero in a way of, it doesn't matter if you sell croquetas, sell yachts to the rich and famous, or be on the movie screen, we can, we can all embrace to be our hero in our, in our lives. And when you choose that, good things happen. And particularly good things happen to your family, to your kids, and to your community because it's going to not only create fun, but it also creates the energy of, of positivity and positive energy. Mm-hmm. Even though things are negative around you, um, you have a choice. You can be a victim or a hero. And um, I think this movie, in a way, in the backdrop, chooses that we want to stay being heroes for us, for our brand, and for our community. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I'm, I'm super impressed with everything that, that you've done. I feel like, I mean, Sergio's has, has grown so much under your watch, and I, I can see why. You've, you keep trying and innovating and, and doing all these really fun and interesting things. And, I, I mean, obviously the last two years have been immensely challenging for folks all across our industry. But um, wondering what your plans are for the future, if you have um, plans for future expansion, how you're going to – are you going to do more robots? Are you going to do more technology-driven restaurants? Can we, can we get a little under a uh, little look at what's ahead? I've gone. So if we, if we were in 08, you know, we grew a lot in 08 um, when things were during, during the crisis. We, could, we thought there would be opportunities in real estate and, and opportunities for us to grow our brand. This, this time around during the pandemic or the Black Swan event um, that just occurred, I think there's, there's different opportunities. That's the, way we, that's the way at least I view it. The view is in the future will be about technology and how we embrace how we do business and so our my main focus has been focusing on vertical channels that provide more sales for my same infrastructure so for example mm-hmm. we've jumped into uh e-commerce that we're selling our foods through go belly uh now we'll do uber oh yeah DoorDash, shipping all nationwide i was the first restaurant on qvc on cuban food uh selling croquetas on qvc which sold about thirty eight thousand. Uh, croquetas in like seven minutes. Um, 
Wow. Is that also a world record? Goodness. Uh, I don't know that. that, that they, they never had Cuban food there, so I was the first one. But it was it's just thinking <laughs> vertical, right? That's a vertical channel that was not part of the restaurant. So I think embracing technology is what I want to do for our restaurant. I know we, we the next thing I'm creating is I'm creating a new 3.0 web marketing platform for all restaurants. All restaurants, hotels, venues are going to hopefully jump on our platform. And our platform is really going to focus on digital collectibles and NFTs. And my next project that I'm launching in April is that restaurants will, for the first time, be able to have their NFTs in a marketing platform that they can collaborate with each other. And so 1.0 used to be AOL, an email, and tell you, you know, come on into your restaurant. 2.0 web marketing has to do with basically Instagram, Facebook, anyone kind of marketing that way of constant contact. That was your way. 3.0 is what we're doing. 3.0 web marketing will be, you will be selling cards that represent rewards that will be, be able to be activated and reactivated once those cards expire. So we visualize a world um, that if I spent $10,000 in a marketing campaign and, or and, you know, some people spend millions in Super Bowl and you spend it the next year, everyone forgets about it because the reality is you just spend all that marketing dollars and, and nothing else. Well, imagine a world that you would sell basically NFTs through fiat money or crypto, depending on what it was, um, where you can reactivate those and said, by the way, whoever has this card that bought it, you know, you get a free bottle of wine on Fridays at my restaurant for owning something two years ago. So if I said, hey, let me create an NFT for a free coffee, for example, I'm only gonna do a thousand of them and people buy it. That expires, let's say in six months to a year and I have an event, I can say whoever has that NFT from in the past, you're invited to my event just by owning it. I've created a secondary market with potential uh, royalties. Well, imagine a world also where brands can collaborate in the future. Imagine a world where I, mm -hmm. where I can say, this is what we're doing with our platform. Imagine a world where I can say, by the way, um, let's just say Burger King is coming out with an NFT in our platform. And it's a burger, picture of a burger. I can say, whoever has that NFT can come to my restaurant and get a free bottle of wine. I mean, before, you can never market that way. It would always be, Oh, I have to create a contract and I have to create an agreement with them and they would never talk to me. Well, now Web 3.0 will give restaurants and hotels an opportunity to market what we what I call is brand likeness or brand image, right? It's where I like this brand, I want to promote them, but I also will give them something if someone buys it through them. And that is going to open the world for a lot of independent restaurateurs, a lot of people, what I call is a network effect. That will be the new future that we're, we're so excited to be launching. The company's called Blue Keys in April and really is going to give you keys and accesses to things that you never had before on brands. Yeah. And I feel like you're in the right city for it because isn't Miami the real the place where crypto and NFTs and everything like that is exploding? So you're you're in the you're right in the middle of it all. Yeah. Well, so fascinating. Well, thank you so much, Carlos. 
Before you go, um, we are doing, we would love for you to do the tasting menu, which is a very quick three question. First thing that comes to your mind that we're doing this season. First question we have for you, food you absolutely cannot live without. An ingredient or food? A food. Could be an food. ingredient though. I guess we, we could get creative. Yeah. We could, you could say ingredient. Okay. If it's, if it's an ingredient, it would be a lime. Um, because okay. I can, I can cook with fish with lime. I can make drinks with the lime. I can do you know anything with lime. I think lime is one of my, my favorite ingredients to use. Um, if it's that's a good answer, yeah. Yeah, to me, I, like people say salt. I think lime is first, then salt. Um, yeah. And if it's a if it's a food item, um, I, don't, I love pizza. So once in a while, pizza is it's hard to live without pizza. I feel like that would be a lot of people's answers too. So oh yeah, restaurant technology that you cannot live without. Wow, restaurant technology. Um, I think online ordering, I guess, for now, or Uber right now. I guess you can't. Right now, unfortunately, it's, it's an adversary sometimes, but at the same time, yeah. it's it's kind yeah. of a, it's kind of a necessity right now uh, during the pandemic. Sure. Has been uh, like the third party takeouts has really kept a lot of businesses afloat, even though we feel we have we, still, we have a partner uh, that's taken away a lot of the percentages. I think that's that's a new battle and the battle of negotiations in the future. But anything online ordering. Uh, is, is I think here to stay and, and just how it's mm-hmm. folded out. But I think that's a necessity for the future. Yeah, I feel like a lot of other restaurateurs would probably say something similar. So, all right. And last question. If you could go for another world record, what would it be? Oh, man, I'm going to start thinking about that for the future. But I think uh, <laughs> my, my next one might be, just to make it easier, right, if I did it, if I did another one, it would be a croqueta preparada, which is... Ah. For those who don't know, what a croqueta preparada is, is nothing more than a Cuban sandwich, but with a big with a croqueta inside. So imagine we we did the the world's largest croqueta and just put it on top of a Cuban sandwich, and then I would get a bunch of abuelitas or grandmothers, and I would iron the entire Cuban sandwich with butter and an iron, and just have that <laughs> visual. I was gonna say that means you're gonna have to you're gonna have to come up with a long oven. No, that, that's what I'm saying. I wouldn't come up with that long enough. I would have, I would have just my grandmothers all lined up, hundred grandmothers oh, lined great. up, uh, with with the press of like instead of doing it for your clothes, they would just press the entire sandwich with butter. I think that would be. Uh, oh, amazing! I'm not surprised given your marketing techniques. I feel like you know this. Like your TikTok, TikToks itself. You know, you don't need a social media manager. You, you, your whole restaurant is nothing but a TikTok video. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, experiment that's going on in my restaurant. Yeah. yeah, for sure. At least that's what our poor family thinks sometimes. They say, "What do you? How do you come up with these things?" I'm just like, "Well, I don't know. Maybe, you know, I don't know what, how I come up with it." But it, the goal is, it, I think everyone's PI index is a little different. But um, I'll just stay young. Stay young. I have three kids. They'll hopefully they'll keep me abreast with everything that comes in the future as well. Exactly. Totally. Absolutely. It's good exactly. to have that's up to not know what's going on, right? Right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Carlos. This has been a great conversation. We look forward to watching the documentary when it comes out. And um, just you were great, uh, great to have you on today. Exactly. I had a fun time. Thank Thank you so much, Carlos. It was great meeting you. Likewise. Want to hear more listeners? Then you need to head to backofhouse.io, where you can find the latest on restaurant technology, food service industry news, a ton of free how-to guides, like how to digitize your space, how to work with food influencers, the latest on restaurant relief, and more interviews with industry experts. And while you're there, 
definitely remember to sign up for their free weekly newsletter, Eat.News. Back of House has a team of food service industry writers and journalists who cut through the noise and give you the headlines that you really need to see each week. This is honestly one of the best weekly food service-focused newsletters I've ever read or seen, and I wouldn't say that if it weren't true. Follow us on Twitter at BOH underscore podcast and at We Are Back of House on all other platforms. 